Welcome back to the Dash Arts Podcast, Seeing the World Through an Artistic Lens. I'm Josephine Burton. And, and I'm Rachel Head. <laughs> <laughs> so good at that. Seamless, flawless that time. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we're talking Middle March, Rachel. Yes, we are. We're talking post-Middlemarch reflections, like an incredible success after all our, uh, you know, our panicking and finessing and years of your work. It, it all came together. And how do you feel? I feel um, enormously like exhilarated by the process. It was hugely fun. It was fun. Almost every second was fun and like an enormous learning experience. And we built together this a phenomenal community of performers and non-professional actors and crew and designers. And even even like kind of Coventry City of Co- Coventry City Culture hosts became part of our show. It was it was a phenomenal community we built and that that was wonderful and completely exhausting. There was a lovely moment I don't know if I shared with you and again I'm not sure this should definitely go on the podcast but um, I I came across an article in the Daily Mirror. I did, did I tell you this that I came during the like so. it was during it was the week while we were up there. Uh, Coventry was like voted the worst city in the country for going out for a night's out or something. And um, they sent a reporter to um, to go and like spend a night out in Coventry. And it happened to be a night of our show. And um, they were they kind of said, I went on the street and there were these crowds of people shouting, we want justice! We want justice! <laughs> turn out to be turn out to be part of uh, the Great Middlemarch Mystery, which is going on as part of Coventry City of Culture. Uh, things were not as lively uh, in the slug and lettuce. <laughs> was the, was the, and I kind of loved that we became part of the furniture and the architecture of the city for our yeah. show. It wasn't just it wasn't just in the spaces; it was like on the streets around. Particularly like having raffles. One of our actors um, sitting on a bench between the cathedrals in character, like drinking from his hip flask and singing Depeche Mode really badly, pretending to be like lost in his headphones. I loved how the show became part of the fabric of the city in a really kind of gorgeous way. Not just not not just in its buildings, but outside it too. Yeah, it was lovely. There were like lots of moments because obviously Raffles comes into the pub, which is where I was situated for the show. And the moments when he would come in and people would like excitedly like nudge their partners or their friends and be like, it's the guy from the thing. And, you know, my partner said to me afterwards, like, it was the same. I just thought it was an annoying drunk guy. that we said. I was like, oh, God, Rachel's going to be really upset that there's this drunk guy running around like around their show. So it worked really, really well. I really love exactly that point that what, what I hoped would happen from our production would be that it would it would encourage people to see the world slightly differently because you kind of open your eyes to, 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 to new ideas and new things in, in many ways. But the fact is that you're, you, you spot someone on the street and you're not quite sure if they're in the production or they're just a random person on the street, but you're looking at them differently because you've kind of you're curious that's a brilliant kind of like an afterthought or a kind of like a bigger impact of the show yeah totally and and the point of immersive work really isn't it you don't you never know what's part of the world and and what isn't so one of the sort of great challenges but also I think one of the great successes of this show of doing the show was the was bringing Middlemarch up to date so you know it's the in say early 1830s that George Eliot wrote it and then we're, we're making it in the 1980s but then there were still elements of it that were pre- almost present day when you watched it play out so many times every day how did that feel to you watching it what was particularly exciting for me in retrospect was uh, we talked a lot about how how whether George Eliot's language would sit comfortably in in a contemporary production how how awkward would this Victorian language sound and 
kind of how would it trip off the tongue and how jarring would it be alongside any improv that happened around it and what was kind of gorgeous that I hoped would happen and it really happened through the process of mm. of, um, of the rehearsals and working with the community actors our middle people and then going into the show was it, it didn't it no longer jarred like the merging of George Eliot's language and contemporary language happened really seamlessly so I didn't even I was even not aware of it I mean I know that text inside out so well so I, yeah. I was sort of aware which bits were new and which bits were the original text but it didn't stand out for me and I think one of the great successes of our show was that actually um, was that we managed to make it feel contemporary make a story feel so contemporary although some of the language was you know, is over 150 years old so I suppose that's yeah. one thing one of the other aspects that we that, that I was always really keen to bring into the show and Ruth and I talked about a lot and I know we talked about it in an earlier podcast was uh, the kind of thinking through parallels of of modern society from George Eliot's life, like, you know, that the outsider, what it is to be new, new in a city, um, how, how change comes about, um, how change, what change was like in 1830s and what change is like in 1980s. And those, we thought a lot about that in the writing of it. Um, we thought quite a lot about that in the casting. I, I was really keen that, uh, that we explored difference in a, in a, through the prism of 1980s, a life as well. It was wonderful to come across Deb Tracy and Amy Powell, who brought an amazing kind of world with them. Deb and I spent so long talking about um, her mother, who would have been Mrs. Vincey's age in 1980, mm. in the 1980s. And, and we talked a lot about like, you know, for her, Deb's mother came from Jamaica and what it was to be Jamaican in the Midlands um, in the 80s. And, and, and she was really channeling, I'm sure she'd be able to tell it more than me, but like she was really channeling the world of her mum and her aunts and her kind of community and that was so joyous I really wanted that to become part of the show I wanted I wanted the actors to feel able and comfortable to draw on their own kind of stories and their own personal background we did something a bit cheeky with Ladislav because um, we kept Ladislav in and we didn't keep his great love, which is Dorothea. And I, you know, I, I know that we upset a lot of people, including Susanna Clapp by not, yeah. and the Observer by not including Dorothea. And it was a lot, it was a lot of decisions that went into it. And I think we've talked about that previously, but kind of keeping, separating Ladislav from his great love affair with, with Dorothea kind of freed us a little bit to explore who Ladislav was, because there is this great meeting of minds in George Eliot's novel between the great kind of journalist, passionate firebrand, um, Ladislav, who who wants to bring change to his town and his community and reform, and the, the doctor Ligate, who who has similar desires to move people on, but doesn't have the say the right the right ways, the tools to do that. Um, and we, I know we've talked about that before in a previous podcast, but they had so much in common. And in the story, they are great friends in in, in George Eliot's novel. But I was quite excited about the possibility of teasing that out. But, teasing something out between the two of them that could be like a beautiful friendship that could have some great love deep love at its heart and that was totally brilliant fun to explore with the two of them in rehearsal room and I loved it I loved the journey with them and what we saw and what we got from the text and we went we had moments of really overplaying it and really getting almost physical in that relationship and then stepping back and thinking more about the kind of the nature of a friendship but Ryan really helped with that Ryan himself is gay and um, I, I think he, he was really interested and helped me with the exploration of what that friendship could be for the two of them um, and that obviously is totally naughty because it's totally not in George Eliot's novel but it really felt right for us to explore in a contemporary context. I couldn't do an episode on how we brought Middlemarch up to date without speaking to two of the most important people in that process, Ryan Van Champion and Amy Powell. 
I managed to catch up with them a couple of weeks after we finished Middlemarch to see how the experience was for them. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Middlemarch is over. Middlemarch is, um, has finished. I didn't really get much of a chance to catch up with either of you well during the run um but certainly not like post run how uh, how how was it for you guys it was it was so much fun it was crazy it was it was sickening i got covid um, <laughs> yeah everybody literally <laughs> almost everybody didn't they i was so shocked that i didn't get covid it was quite miraculous yeah. i'm still blaming tom basically because i think it was from the first time that we we did our stage kiss. But I'm happy to just blanket rule say that. If we all agree it, yeah, 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 yeah. then it's true. And Ryan? Quick as a flash, really. It, it's gone before we knew it, really. Um, I think the th- thing that really shocked me about the run is just, I mean, we knew it was going to be different with an audience, mm. but it was different every single time. Every moment of the play was just completely different depending on you know if there was an audience member trying to get your attention while you're trying to speak (laughs) to another character or there was one brilliant moment where a chap I think it was probably the first or second uh, performance and a chap ran after me hell for leather to tell me that raffles had died <laughs> and i shouldn't have known it he shouldn't have been able to catch me uh, it didn't work at all because i hadn't found this out in the play yet um but he was just so invested in being a journalist and that was just the most amazing thing to experience was someone really really taking on board their role within the play it was brilliant i saw that so much actually and it was mostly the journalists i don't know what you were saying to people but they were so on board <laughs> i think i really had the the best setup for the improvisation because and for and for the audience involvement because everyone that came with me from the start they had a set task for the whole of the show they were there to gather information they were there to you know, investigate different storylines and, and find out more about the characters. And they could continue doing that as they moved to different locations. Whereas, you know, if you were a guest in the pub or if you were having tea at the Vinci's, you can't go and do that in the, mm. in the town hall. It doesn't make sense. Um, mm. So it was kind of, you know, we had a character group that could just, you know, transcend the town hall and the pioneer. It was quite interesting. Yeah, because you're right in the in the sense that the Vinces, it's definitely there for like, come and have a gossip, have some, well, have a drink, have a biscuit, a cake, sweets, whatever. Um, but it was really cool then like when big moments happened at the Vinces, like the, the journalists would be there and they'd be like, what would you like? What would you like us to say? Have you got anything to comment? And it worked really well. So like um, after the engagement scene and Rosamond's like, oh, we've got her announce it. Like before I even could say that, someone was like, would you like to uh, make a statement for the panel? (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) And people were really, um, they were analysing everything because we gave them the permission to do so. So you'd have Mm. people come up. Why why doesn't Mrs. Bullstrode like you? I'm sorry, I didn't know Mrs. Bullstrode didn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they were picking up on things. And because there was this like breaking of the barrier, they really felt like they could they could ask questions and they could try and get more information because they had the storyline to do so. Yeah, there was um, a few times when, because I haven't really been able to see that many other locations because I was always situated in the pub, 
where people would tell me about stuff that was happening and I'd be like, oh my God, I had no, like people kept coming in and saying, you know, Rosamond, I saw Rosamond and the doctor taking each other's pulse, if you know what I mean. And I was like, <laughs> because yeah, I've we never did. seen that bit. And I was like, that sounds hot. But then other times when people come up to me and be like, so, because I was stood sort of behind the makeshift bar and was reacting, it was very much Amanda was talking to me most of the time. So, uh, People would come up to me and be like, so what can you tell me? And I'd be like, mm, very little, I'd say. Just grab a seat. I feel like you got a bit more involved than that, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I had some lovely moments in the pub, Ryan. We did, we did. You very much caught me off guard on a number of occasions. That was the one thing. I was so sad I didn't get to go to the pub. Yeah. I went everywhere else. Well, I was very sad not to come to the Vinci's. It sounded like a hoot in there. You got Deb. I mean, that's all we need to say, really. You know, like she was hilarious. And there were some great moments. And even um Jess, who was he was our Laura. Like, like you were saying, Ryan, because things were changing every single show. There were no two shows that were the same. You just learn, like from each one, you would learn something new and bring it into the next one. And it would work in its own way in the new one. But like even Jess was like coming up with like really cute and funny things to say, like particularly in like some of the more intimate moments where you got like a room full of people and you got to like confess your undying love. But yeah, it was, um, it's, it was just a shame that I didn't get to go there and you didn't get to come to our space. I'm sorry, maybe another day. <laughs> Maybe another middle March. You were in the pub in an earlier draft, but we just couldn't make it work that you ever got anywhere else on time. I don't think she did anyway. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I listen, that, that the, the um, auction, you know what, see, the auction, that was getting later and later and later. Again, I think I'm going to blame Tom. Fine. Happy to. More than happy to. I did. <laughs> But it was interesting hearing people's um, thoughts on different characters because although people liked Tom, they didn't like Lydgate. I had a lot of, you know, people come and see the show, oh, he's lovely. Oh, he's a horrible character though, isn't he? And just like all these things. And, you know, as a group, we'd been rehearsing these characters and we'd sort of got attachments to these characters and, and Ladislav had opinions of these characters. And then other people were coming in and saying things that just, I didn't know how to respond to them because I, you know, I want to be nice to them, but I don't want to agree with them yeah. because I didn't feel it. So our middle March, um, obviously it was written 1830s, early 1830s, and we set it in the 1980s. Um, how was the sort of process of bringing middle March up to date for you guys? Were you familiar with the text at all beforehand? No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't either. I know that a lot of, Tom's text uh, and Bulstrode's text um, for Andrew and my my own text. It was just very, very, very 1800s. Um, but then the improvisation element of things was just, you know, you, you can't do it in that same language. Mm. The, the first thing for me was going, okay, so it's set more modern um, than it was written, but we're still using the old language. So how can I find a place where that sits comfortably? in my accent and you know we had like a few conversations about should I should I become more RP or whatever but ultimately I thought well no it's it's a story that's you know based in a region that is very similar to the Midlands so I was like why not why not have um a character who who does sound like she is from 
round here. And when I say round here, I mean the West Midlands. But yeah, I agree with Ryan in that it was very hard doing the improv because like I kept saying stuff like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and Josephine was like, no, we can't, we can't. There's something about okay, just sounding too modern and just like taking you like too far away from um, the written text. So um, yeah, it, that was, it was a challenge, but you know, it was, it was a fun one. I think a lot of these things as well is where the language might have well been fine for the 80s, but when it's against the 1800s text, mm. it just sounds too ultra modern. Mm. So it doesn't feel like it's in either the 1800s or the 80s. I think that's what that was. Mm. Too modern for my own good. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, and Ladislav's character, we obviously took away his great love in Dorothea Brooke and that led to look at some other relationships in his life. So was there something there with Lydgate? Um, with Lydgate, we found that when we were looking at the text, and I don't know how much of this was from the original text uh, that you can sort of read into or whether it was more laid in there by Ruth and Josephine, uh, but it definitely lent itself to something that was more than just a friendship. There was a serious love between the two. You can sort of tell it and you can read that as just a friendship. And we decided to experiment with how far we could push that. So we, we had a few rehearsals where we were just working on our scenes and we took it right to the extremes, really, really making it fairly not explicit because it's not there in the words, but um, within our body language and within the way that we played those scenes, we took it to the, to the extremes. And then we sort of let it settle back to where it felt most natural for performance and to also not interact too much with um, Lydgate's storyline with Rosamond because that is a huge thing within the play. But it, it was really nice. It, it, for me, it felt like it added a huge dimension to, to Ladislav and to my narrative. So it wasn't so just focused on the press. You know, he was a real human being in the show. He had some sadness to him as well. Is Rosamond, do you think she, she was aware? What did Rosamond make of the relationship between Lydgate and Ladislav? No, I don't think, I don't think she did. And certainly the, you know, our telling of the story, there, there was no, um, just going off the scenes, there wasn't any, um, <clears throat> excuse me, opportunity for that until I think like sort of the last scene when we leave together. Um, but I know we'd spoken a lot about how um, so Ryan and I had spoken a lot about how Rosamond and um, Will's relationship um, will have would have grown, and we were like, yeah, I can imagine him, you know, coming to the house quite often and having parties, and and we even sort of said that you know you could imagine the three of them just hanging out, and him and Rosamond would do the, the artsy music thing, and then he'd go off and <clears throat> excuse me, chat with um, Lydgate and do his intellectual thing. But for me, I don't feel like she was wholly aware. And if she was, I don't feel like she was ever threatened by that um, because I think she had such a, a deep love, a big love for, for Ladislav as well. And the, I know there's in um, a one of the scenes, is it, was it between you and, who was it? Ryan, was it you and Tom when you talk about um, emotional elephant? That's the one. When she yeah, said so when you know, yeah, so there is it's an emotional elephant. So for me, I was like, she she totally she totally yeah. bitches about her husband 
to Will. Like he is her <laughs> agony uncle and confidant and best friend. And, you know, I think she trusts him. And it's a shame that actually that's one of my greatest shames of the plays that we couldn't have any more of those moments. But it, it wouldn't have fit in anywhere. But it was nice to know that there was that element of, of our characters. And, and, and you put it yeah. in quite a lot with just like little hellos to me when you yeah. were passing through the room, which really yeah, was yeah. lovely. I never saw that. I didn't know that you guys really had any sort of relationship. Did it come out more through the improv? It definitely came out more through improv because we only had um, one scene together um, when when she first meets him. Mm. Um, and and so then just like knowing, understanding that the story as a whole, as in the, the novel, because um, I think Rosamond does end up actually falling in love with Will, doesn't she? And And he's like, all the way out there for Dorothea. Um, so I was like, you know, it'd be nice to just have a, a sort of a touch of that somewhere. And even, you know, it's one of those things that even, even if it's not clucked by every audience member, it's there for us. And it's again, those things that make, as Ryan said, the, the characters feel human, feel fully rounded. Exactly what you said is what I felt about all those Lydgate scenes is that if someone just popped into one of my scenes with Lydgate, then they might have got a, a sort of inkling of it. But if you don't, unless if you were to follow us around and you'd seen every single scene I have with Lydgate, then you'd really, I think it would be quite powerful for you. But otherwise, you know, you'll be able to take the same interpretation and, and have your own view of it and what their relationship was. And it's, an, it's just another lovely element about the fact that it's not necessarily the middle march that people have read. It's this version that is updated, you know, um, because he will definitely wouldn't have been presumably um, gay, pansexual, whatever in Elliot's novel um, because it, it didn't fit. It doesn't flow with the storyline that's in the book mm. necessarily, <laughs> but uh, in our version, we can add that in because it's a more modern world. And these are, whilst some of her uh, themes are relevant today, this is a theme that is incredibly relevant today that, you know, should be in there for sure. So then another one of the storylines that became slightly different was the with was your relationship with Deb with Mrs. Vincy with your mother. Um because she came over from the Caribbean. And your mixed race, we never see your father. We never see the mayor. Did it affect anything for you then playing Rosamond, knowing what you know about Rosamond's character and and what she wants out of life? So um can I just start off by saying as the shows went on, people were really suspicious that they didn't see my dad. They were like, "Where's the mayor? What's the mayor doing?" We had people saying, in, the, in journalists saying, "I think that's a story there. I think they might have killed him." He, every time they kept saying that every time that he uh, that they asked about where he was, they'd get exactly the same reply oh as if it was prepared. <laughs> It's because we're actors. It's a script. (laughs) (laughs) No one really cared about Fred. It was just all about dad. So where where is your father? Um, But anyway, yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it changed a lot. And it was, it was really important for me. And I know I can speak for Deb as well here because we've had the conversation that we, we didn't lose. It wasn't just like, Oh, we're going to do colorblind casting. And you know, it's all that. No, no, these are these, it's a, it's, um, it's, it's purposeful. Like we're here and these are our backstories and this is the reasoning. And this is where we want to bring the culture in. Um, 
And um, so, so for me, it was it was really interesting. We had a few conversations, particularly around um, again the relationship with Rosamond and Lydgate. I remember Josephine saying, you know, is it important that um, Rosamond's partner is white? As like for Rosamond mm. and and having you know conversations around that and 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 you know reasonings around it, but also um, from Lydgate's point of view of her not being um, a white woman, what would that you know add to it? Is it like a, and I hate this word in in general Amy life, but is it like an exoticism thing that that exists for people? And you know we can't. None of the characters, I mean, we've already established that people hated Lydgate, but like, no, none of the characters are perfect. And in fact, they're very flawed. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it was important for me that we didn't lose any of that. I know we said that Mrs. Vincey was specifically from Jamaica in the Caribbean. So for me, coming from a, a mixed heritage background, my mother is black, my father's white, my mother's family are from Jamaica. It was, they're all things that I understand anyway as Amy. Um, and so it was just about embedding that into 1980s and thinking about, okay, so if this woman was 20, uh, 22 in 1981, that means, you know, she was, uh, sorry, 82, she was born in 1960s England. What was that like for a mixed heritage family and their children pretty rough <laughs> do you know what I mean it's very different to Amy growing up in 1990s Britain as a mixed heritage person um so again there were conversations that we we had um <clears throat> and layers that we added to our characters um but not necessarily in the dialogue in the text etc but then also when we had our moments of improvisation though that's where we found we were really able to sort of be a lot more um uh, inclusive of the culture which was which was nice so it was nice we had those playgrounds it was nice to play a mixed (laughs) that sounds really weird it was it was nice to be to bring my experience of being a mixed heritage woman dual heritage woman into a world where the the text still feels so old you know, because Rosamond is not that in the book at all. I'm so happy for for George Eliot and th- that telling of the of the story. But this is our version, so how how do I make that work for me? And you know that actually plays really into. I, I think the whole show is about otherness mm. and about how everyone in Middlemarch treats treats you know different people coming into the town. But I think it's also everyone in the town feels othered by each other. And I feel like everyone is so afraid of being on the outside of this community that like the little ways that they can, if if they're on the inside, that they can make other people feel like they're on the outside, then maybe they're not all alone. Even Mrs. Bullstrode, who I think is arguably like the most sort of traditional, Mm. she still stands up over Deb at the beginning in that first, uh, stands up over Mrs. Vincey and is like, yes, let me tell you. And Deb's like, I'll tell you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite a nice element, the fact that although they're the, the mayoral family, they've got this feeling of outsiderness. Mm. I'm just making up loads of words today. For you now, like, do you feel 
that you you achieved what you wanted to achieve with Middle March? What I really loved about about our performance that absolutely worked was the building of a community. It, it came it came kind of incrementally and slowly, and we built it up. Um, in some ways, we built we built up the middle people. We met the middle people before we cast the show, and we kind of started to understand from quite early on what it, what Coventry. Coventry had been like in the 80s and what our middle march could be like in in 1980s and we started to build the links with community actors and build our middle people and and then they they came into the rehearsal room and then they started to integrate and work with the actors and then we got quite worried about covid and um rightly so because covid kept kept messing up our rehearsal room repeatedly there was like a week when i think and the majority of the cast had COVID. But uh, I, so so we then brought in a couple of actors, you know, emerging actors to join our group who who became part of the ensemble as well. And so slowly there were like 30 people who were part of the cast in some ways. And then we had our, uh, the extraordinary stage management crew that you led to five. And we slowly kind of built this community of um, of people and, and who owned the show. And I think... That, I don't think I, I think that is the main success of the performance is the amount of ownership and commitment of the of the of that group of thirty eight nine people who were all part of the show and part of who felt really invested in in the world of Middlemarch and as as we got to there's the kind of penultimate scene in the performance was when all the audience are invited to submit bits of prop bits of clues that they've all found and they would all kind of bring them in um, and it's quite a kind of fraught frantic scene of lots of noise and lots of energy and excitement and I, we, we work quite a lot on I work quite a lot with the with them all on how we keep the dynamism of that of that scene up to, as we're moving towards a, con- a conclusion and every night every day and every night that we ran that performance it got more boisterous and more collegiate everyone got more and more invested in it and it and it was partly because the community cast, our middle people, got more and more invested about it. They got more vocal. They got more engaged. They got more enraged, I think, by what Bulstrode had done to threaten Middlemarch. And as a result of of their ownership and this kind of cast of twenty non professional actors who were so invested, um, like the the audience got more and more invested in it too, and they became part of Middlemarch. So by you know it, it was so like I felt quite exhilarated by you know our last performance where everyone was very passionate and kind of there was something about building a town building a community that was absolutely the point of the show to draw on not just one or two actors but a world and build a community that was invested in in itself and I think that was such a win I was quite kind of overwhelmed and thrilled by that experience what do you feel like Dash has really learned from doing Middlemarch? What do you what are your main takeaways and, and how is that going to influence Dash's work in the future? I think um what for me really worked was the experience of creating a piece of theatre that is so site specific and immersive. Um to see the way the audience became part of the show and the ownership mm. that they managed to have over the production and the pure enjoyment of it as an experience. And that was a slight evolution of our work as, a, as an organisation. And we've built immersive worlds and um, where stuff has happened and we've created theatre productions. And this was a m- kind of merging of two, of, of, an, of those two ideas. And it really, in some ways, worked so beautifully and so well. And that's definitely going to happen again. That will happen again with Dido's Bar this autumn, which where we're creating a piece of new theatre that will happen in the world of Dido's Bar, a sort of bar on the edge of town where kind of migrants arrive to and where kind of people have kind of outcasts and strangers hang out. And that that experience of theatre in something so so specific and so immersive um, is is definitely inspired by 
the process yeah. of Middlemarch and as will our future work. So even if Middlemarch doesn't come back, I think all of the best things of Middlemarch will continue to be part of our work going forward. Thank you for joining us on the Dash Arts podcast. And thank you to my guests, Josephine Burton, Amy Powell and Ryan Van Champion. We'll be back soon with a new series, but in the meantime, brush up on our Dido's Bar episodes because the show will be coming to London in the autumn. I'll leave you today with a little bit more from Amy, Ryan and myself. I'm Rachel Head. Thank you for listening. Everyone was a little bit like the characters all the way. Thanks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> Rosamond is shallow as hell. <laughs> exactly. I stand by what I've said. Anyway. I-, <laughs> I have been officially roasted. No, this is disgraceful. I'm, I'm calling, I'm calling Equity. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, please don't. <laughs> oh, dear.